This is the Jason Jones Show, powered by Mudhouse Media. Now, here's Jason Jones. Aloha, everybody, and welcome to the Jason Jones Show. I am your host, Jason Jones, broadcasting from the land of the free and the home of the brave, Texas, where... Where I live, we have been wide open for a year and a half and uh, since the day we arrived. And it's glad to see it looks like the forces of darkness are in retreat and the rest of the country may soon, with God's grace, be liberated from this tyranny. Uh, today on the show, I have the great Sheila Logminis. You know her from Relevant Radio. She is an Emmy award-winning journalist. She wrote for Time for 20 years. She's a broadcaster and author. Her book, Non-Negotiables, Essential Principles of a Just Society and a Humane Culture, is a must for every library. Sheila's an old friend. We're going to be talking about how the CCP is corrupting the mainstream media. So buckle up, buttercup. This episode is being brought to you by MyPillow. Go to MyPillow.com. Use the code Jones, get deep discounts, and support our mission and support this show. It's also being brought to you by the Vulnerable People Project, standing in solidarity with the most vulnerable people in the world, and it has been a good week for us. We've delivered a lot of food all across Afghanistan. We also were able to get out several families to neighboring countries and somebody we've been trying to bring home for a very long time to the United States. We are bringing home this week, and I can't wait to tell that story. Can't tell it yet. But when you support the Vulnerable People Project at thegreatcampaign.org, you are serving the most vulnerable people in the world, and that's a privilege to serve the vulnerable. All right, so here we go. The brilliant and amazing Sheila Logminis on the Jason Jones Show. <laughs> Sheila Logminis, welcome to the Jason Jones Show. Jason, it's always a pleasure to talk with you. I'm just excited to talk to an Emmy Award-winning journalist. Oh, come on. Um, so uh, <laughs> you and I have been longtime friends. Yes. And we know each other so well. I mean, we forget about things like that. We, we both had our books come out around the same time, right? So, right. And they, they both, Jason, are about human dignity and, and, and the humanity of, of all peoples. And protecting that and being a humane culture, both of us wrote the same essential, you know, message in our book. If the, if if your book came out a year after mine, I would have accused you of plagiarism and vice <laughs> and vice versa, right? I mean, right, they, were, right. they were very similar. Well, I there. I just want to say that you know you've you're you're, you're a journalist, you're a, a broadcaster, a radio show host, and my job is to be you know schmooze people like you to to influence you to speak out for the vulnerable but you know i've never had to schmooze you you're ahead of the game like you have always been outspoken for the vulnerable and i wanted to have you on today i don't know if you knew this you have now entered the pentathlon uh, of podcasting this is the pentathlon of podca podcasting we're doing a show a day every day during the ccp genocide olympics brought to you by nbc and I wanted to have you on to talk about um, this new 20-nation letter condemning China 
for its crackdown on freedom of press in Hong Kong. Um, but before we get to that, I just, and I think I've asked you this before on the air, but I, why have you, you've always been such an outspoken advocate for the vulnerable. Where did that, you know, from the child in the womb to the, the, yeah. the, the Christians in Iraq, uh, when there was a genocide in Sudan, where did this come from in you? Uh, that's a good question. Um, th- thank you for asking that. I don't think I've ever been asked that before. It's in my DNA. I mean, I just have to blur out what I know to be the answer to that. It's in my DNA. So Jason, in my book up front, early in the book, just to sort of set up, you know, what my interest is in a non, so non-negotiable essential principles of a just society in a humane culture. I, it was very relevant to tell the story of when I was a, a, a really little girl, a really young girl. I went on uh, the first trip out of my state to the deep south, and I was raised this way. I mean, my parents certainly have that ethic about human life. My whole entire clan has always had that ethic about the dignity of all human life. We were in the deep south. I'm a little girl. You know how children are when they're talking just to one parent, even if you're out in public. They don't think anybody else can hear them when they raise their voice. So we were in, Dad and I were in this public of course, I like a drugstore kind of place. And in the back, Jason, was, a, and I tell this story in my book up front, was a water fountain. And there was a big sign on it that somebody just took a big black magic marker and they wrote, they printed themselves the words, no colors allowed. And I stood there looking at it, and my dad was in another aisle. And I shouted, Daddy, really loudly. And he came, he came over, what, 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 what? And I pointed at that and I said, they can't do that. And he said, oh, dear. And so we talked about that. I said, they can't do that to people. They can't treat people that way. I was a really little girl, Daisy. So where does that come from? The parents raising you. That comes from your faith. That comes from your clan. You know, how, we had how a big old were you? Wait, how, how old were you again? I wasn't more than six. I, I don't even know if I was six. At was that it point. that you were taught that this was absurd or was it you were just a blank slate and, and a human being with a blank slate would understand this is absurd? I think it was a blend of both. I was a human being with a blank slate because I was soaking I, of all my life to this very moment, soaking in information. I watch and I listen and I look and I take it all in and then you process it based on what? That's what we need to talk about, about media forming people's ideas that I was taught the dignity inherent dignity of every human person and not just taught that I saw it modeled I saw it modeled by the way my entire clan of of family grandparents you know uncles aunts what they said about people how they taught people I had two great aunts who were convents and cloistered uh you know cloistered convents and two two nuns and cloistered convents and the way they talked about the faith life and, and and God and God's people, and so on. And I was raised with faith. And so therefore, I mean, this, and I, you know, the, the, the quotes of Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King, he talked about all God's children, not some, but all God's children. And so going through those kind of things, learning about that, hearing my parents and clan talk about that, and hearing those quotes cited, and that's right, that's right, that's right, you know? And, and you put them all together, and Dr. King didn't single out any group. He put them all together and said, all these children deserve the, the same freedom and justice and, and all are created equal. And I'm, I'm just soaking this in. So that's where it came from. And as I got older and older and older and you get more opportunities to do things, I've been in media forever, forever. 
when I was making my own newspapers, Jason, at nine, I made my own newspapers writing my own articles and just cutting out the pictures from the newspaper, but I wrote my own articles. And so when I've been in the media, newspaper, then television, I went into TV news, and then I went into magazine, Time Magazine. I was for 20 years a Time Magazine reporter out of the Chicago Bureau. Um, and from there, I went into Catholic, you know, religious media because I followed a major conversion. And talk about, you know, learning about Catholic social teaching is what? About the natural law and the moral order and how we treat people who should and then where that should come from. You know what's written on the human heart. That's a very long way of answering your. No, questions. it's a great answer. And um, well, you know, in listening to you talk about in your lifetime, you know, you experienced, you witnessed, not experienced, but you witnessed the absurdity of segregation. And I'll hear people say like, "It's never been crazier than it is right now." Ah, I don't know about that. I crazy. mean, I I think having um, having you know. Two two water fountains for kids is is, is kind of crazy. I, I you know you, you look it was not even not even a hundred years ago a hundred years ago today, Germany had no idea what would be in store for it the next decade. Right, they had no idea. Uh, it was less than a hundred years ago when we had the rise of national socialism in, in Germany with the absurdity of racial sciences and you could get a PhD in racial science where they. That they would, you know, measure earlobes and, you know, it's absurd. And so we look at like gender ideology or trans ideology. Yeah, it's kooky. Um, And it's a new kind of kooky. But we've had, you know, ideologies and enthusiasms that have been that have been equally absurd and even more deadly in the past. Not that these ideologies and enthusiasms that we're dealing with now don't have the potential to become as deadly as as you know, a, a trans ideology, gender ideology has the potential to become as deadly as uh, the racialism of the National Socialists. But even in your own lifetime, you witnessed um, segregation. When I was a kid, and you know, I was born in 1971, but in 1984, my, my father and, and, and my stepmother and I were driving to Arkansas, through Arkansas, to my grandfather's uh, house to go fishing. And we're in a really small little town, and I'm hoping that it was you know, leftover from the past and it wasn't serious, but we saw a sign just like, I saw a sign like that. And I was just like, you, I said, dad, dad, how can they have this sign? I said, you know, this is insane. And my dad, my dad just shrugged and said, I don't know, son, just mm-hmm. keep your mouth closed and mind your business. But it's, um, it, it, it is absurd. Now, when you were a journalist, when you, I want to get into your thoughts of, of NBC and how the mainstream media is covering the Beijing genocide Olympics with a straight face. But when you were writing for Time, did you cover the human rights beat? Because I know you, we met when you were broadcasting, you had a radio show on Relevant Radio. When I talk about my job is to like, you know, be friends with producers and get to know people of influence and chiefs of staff for state reps. And and so I can, you know, try to influence them with you. I never had, you were always available. You were always running ahead of the game. I remember being with you, um, Prior to ISIS, I think it was 2010, oh, yeah. and oh, I had right. an event at the Blue Star, uh, a great yep. Italian restaurant that was next to St. Stan's there in Chicago with yeah. leadership of the Assyrian Chaldean community. And I don't know if I even invited you, but you heard about the event, and there you were standing with the Assyrians and Chaldean Christians before the rise of ISIS, before the genocide, oh, yeah, standing with them. When when you were writing for Time, did you did you cover this beat, or was this something... That you started covering as a as a radio talk show host. 
we didn't we didn't do it that way. I was in the out of the Chicago bureau. We covered the, the fifteen midwestern states, and so each bureau covered a region they were in. And so I loved the way it, it was then, and that was back in the days of the, the late, uh, I shouldn't say the late great Time magazine, but it was a much greater magazine, news magazine then. Uh, everything's changed since then, but that's another story. And so what we did, how we did it, was th- though there were people who tended to get assignments more in one section of the magazine or another, if they specialized in that, we, re- we really, as reporters, didn't specialize as much I loved the fact that um, most of the assignments I got, and it was weekly actually, were in the front of it. So it was, the, the magazine, you opened it back in the day, and it started with um, World, then Nation, then from, from World and Nation, those were the biggest, most important stories. And then you go from there into, you know, law, politics, medicine, those sections, uh, things like that, and then culture. And then there was what they referred to as back of the book. Back of the book were, oh, movie reviews, book reviews, things like that. Um, I didn't tend to do any of that reporting. I just wasn't assigned that stuff. I, I got a lot of nation stories. And that was a real honor to get nation stories because they were what's happening right now, like on Capitol Hill and the Supreme Court. I did a lot of law stories. I love law because that's, that's, how, that's how policy gets made in politics and law. And what we're after for human rights is, making moral policy and and assuring that moral law is just and fair and covering all people as it's, you know, what Martin Luther King was at. So I, I did that for time mostly. And then medicine. I got a lot of medicine stories because, Jason, the earlier years of bioethics kind of exploding out there, I was all over bioethics stories. I was getting assigned those because I loved handling them. A lot of people didn't even know that material. Like a lot of people didn't know what euthanasia was when it started getting reported on. No, it was a joke. When I I first heard assisted suicide, it was a Saturday Night Live did a skit on Jack Kevorkian. And, um, and, and they were, and they used the, the the first time I heard assisted suicide was on Saturday Night Live. And I thought it was Hmm. a joke. Like I didn't kill him, your honor. I assisted him in his suicide. You know, I thought it was. So, I I didn't think it, yeah. I couldn't I couldn't wrap my mind around that it was actually, uh, you know, a policy proposal. A yeah, that uh-huh. it was a thing. Yeah, with I mean, assisted know, suicide is homicide. That way, it's it's it was, that's it, what it, it is. It's, it's, yeah. You can't assist someone in your in a suicide. It's let's just be honest. It's a homicide. So, Jason, you're pointing to exactly the thing that I'm most passionate about, and that's media. And how media do their job, because everything you and I are talking about in all these other areas and human rights and protecting vulnerable people and all of that comes down to the world knowing about it and acting on it. And how are they going to know and act? It's just like in scripture. You know, how, are, how will they know unless someone tells them or, they, or they're told and who will tell them if not us? And if not us, then who? And you can keep t- taking that on. But how, are, how do we know what we know? And that largely, unless we have firsthand experience and how much firsthand experience can we have about Anything we know, certainly laws in courts and what court case, you know, this just came down says and who won and, you know, what their case was and all of that. How do we get that written? Uh, whether a vote was taken on the floor of the House or the Senate, and what the Senate argument was or whatever. We've got to know that through media. So what you're saying about all of this, so Saturday Night Live and the language, you know, assisted suicide is still kill, killing. You're, you're just taking part in it. You're an accomplice to murder. To, to, to the ending of someone's life. 
So now you're an accomplice. You can put all the other words around it you want. And that's how the abortion movement became about choice. You know, so the mantle they put on the people who are activists in these areas, the, the, the words are shaped very intentionally well, even to be acceptable to, to the general public. So it's just a suicide. Death with dignity is dignitas. is like it's euthanasia. But they call it death with dignity. Yeah. Their original name was Hemlock Society, and they, they realized That's that right. was, they, they had to rebrand. Derek Humphreys, the founder, murdered, I believe, his first two wives. And, and one of his wives, I think it was his second wife, uh, wrote a suicide note basically saying she worked with her husband to kill his first wife and her mother, I believe. Because um, hmm. this was one of my first big battles in the state of Hawaii in the 90s, was battling back against assisted suicide and um a, you know what they call what they call euthanasia well even in the style guides right how we were it's right. it's it's got changed it's reproductive health care it's not anti they all got changed they, they, and, they, and, 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 and this, i'm sorry didn't want to step on you but i did sorry no um, worries, the no. style guides <laughs> it's not just reproductive health care it's reproductive justice what is reproductive justice what the heck does that mean well we know what it means it's just soft peddling what we know to be abortion by other words that are more acceptable to more people. It's like, you know, when any movement becomes a big ideological movement and is headed for the courts and so forth, that's when all stops are pulled to go all out to convince enough American citizens or any other country of the world, the people need to be convinced by the ideology, you know, movement people to get behind them. And so then ma making compassion and choices, compassion. Well, we, we all want to have compassion, don't we? And we want people to have choices about things in their life and have freedom. That's the former Hemlock Society. Death with dignity, also former, you know, other words that didn't sound so palatable. So they made it death with dignity, compassion and choices. And all of the above. So this is getting back to changing words and reproductive choices, reproductive health care, and reproductive justice is really just peddling death. Okay, so I'm glad you got there. The most vulnerable. Right there, how they, they've repackaged it now that these mainstream news outlets will use reproductive justice. So then those of us who are pro-life then are not, we don't disagree. We have become evil. We have become unjust. Um, we have become outside of proper uh, we shouldn't be allowed to even speak in public and so that you have entered the pentathlon of podcasting where you sheila can win a gold medal you can win a gold medal <laughs> at the genocide olympics pentathlon of podcasting all you have to do is promise not to watch one minute of the beijing olympics and not buy one product from any of the sponsors and if you do that you get a gold medal now the, the reason i wanted to have you on initially was just to talk about how hoda and al roker um, how they could, how could they even cover these games? You as a journalist, how do they rationalize covering the genocide games? But then this week, the media, freedom, uh, the media Freedom Coalition statement on the closure of media outlets in Hong Kong. The United States and 20 other countries released a statement, the U.S. State Department, you can get, uh, I'll put it in the show notes, to the State Department website. They released a statement condemning um, China, the CCP, for raiding offices of newspapers and media outlets and labeling them terrorists or sedition. They're saying they're seditious or they're terrorists. Um, 
They're fomenting violence. And this is now these are the same people that signed this statement that are calling the truck drivers in in Canada <laughs> Nazis. Washington Post right. had a cartoon with trucks going towards um uh going going toward where, where are they going? My head's my brain's frozen. They're uh, heading to Ottawa and uh, Ottawa, yeah. they're heading to Ottawa and they said fascism on the trucks. All right. They're they're calling these people terrorists. Uh, uh, you know, Trudeau called them Nazis, uh, homophobic, misogynistic Nazis. Uh, so they're using the same tactics of the CCP against their political enemies. Okay, so while they are calling truck drivers in Canada fascists and homeschool moms that went to January 6th uh, terrorists, they are defending the CCP in the midst of the Olympics. Then all of a sudden, strangely, they, they make this little statement on closing, and I'm glad they made this statement, on closing alternative newspapers, arresting people like Jimmy Lai, a publisher, right. a Catholic layman. Uh, right. What goes through their mind? How, what, what's going on in their mind where they're calling Canadian? What's wrong with your profession that out of one side of their mouth, they call Canadian truck drivers fascists, and out of the other side of their mouth, they're condemning the CCP for closing newspapers, for labeling Newspapers in um, Hong Kong is seditious. And then again, they uh, celebrate the Beijing Olympics. Then again, they celebrate the censorship of Joe Rogan or anyone on social media. What's going on in their minds? What's wrong with your it, profession? It, it, they're sick. There's not, <clears throat> excuse me, there's not clear thinking there. There's not clear thinking. It's, 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 a, it's a sort of, you know, they're this cheap hurling their <laughs> over the cliff or whatever. Follow the the pack. There's a lot of pack mentality that goes on in journalism. <clears throat> excuse me, and it's <clears throat> excuse me. It goes on especially when the style books are changed. That's you. I got to go back to that because that was an important point you made. That we call we can no longer use the term pro life unless it's in a direct quote. And even then, Jason, sometimes it's scrubbed or it's re it's reworded for right within the quotation marks. But usually, it's got to be kept within. The quote that somebody says, okay, they'll leave it there. But, but, but only then. So none of the big media style books any longer allow for the reporters or the writers to call us pro-life. So that has to be a more derogatory, you know, anti-choice or you name it, uh, abortion uh, opponent. It, it's all negative for us. But what's going through their minds when they do something out of one side of their mouth and then something else out of the other side of the mouth that doesn't seem to be consistent. Let's just be polite and put it that way um, instead of hypocritical. Uh, but no, it, it's not consistent when you're saying this over here, that same ethic should be applied over here and you're saying it over here. Why don't you realize it applies over there? Is that they've lost the capability to think clearly and reason well. And I, I say that, I probably blurted that out. Because that's what's in the preface, the first line in the preface of my book. In some form or other, that first opening sentence is, you know, people have lost their ability to think clearly and reason well. Clarity is such a simple expectation. Clarity is, we have such a small thing to ask for when we ask for clarification or clarity. And yet there's so little of it because the thinking is so muddled. When you have pressure from such powerful groups, as certainly when you're going into China to cover this, there's tremendous pressure 
to say or follow the pack who's saying a certain thing about a certain group. And after all, China bringing out as one of the torchlighters, a Uyghur athlete, one of the two, um, is trying to tell the world, see, we treat the Uyghur well. Well, we can talk some other time about that. But, and by the way, where did she go? Because she seemed to have disappeared. Well, yesterday we but, had Prime Minister Saleh Hidayah on, and we, and we addressed that. And, you know, they never even said she was good. Uyghur. They said, they said no, an they athlete didn't. with a Uyghur name, which is just bizarre. And instead of saying, it's all bizarre. and then they had her nationality, of course, is Chinese. Um, of course. That's how they do it. But, but they, but they wanted, it's interesting. There was a Yahoo, right after opening ceremony, Yahoo Sports had a headline, the 2022 Olympics opening ceremony revealed this truth, colon, China has a lot to hide. And that was a Yahoo Sports article. And so they, they talk about, you know, after the Olympic, uh, International Olympic Committee tried to claim these games should be free of politics, the Chinese Communist Party staged an opening ceremony, and it goes on talking about that. Um, it was really intended for messaging both audiences inside China and outside China and the world. But it said it was as loud and clear as the fireworks that lit up the sky. It was a sign, says Yahoo Sports, of both Chinese strength and its ability to use the Olympics to spread its narrative. and it's hidden terror at the truth actually seeping out. And I thought, well, good for Yahoo to say that. Well, because some folks are coming around and telling the truth. Yeah, yesterday when I had Prime Minister Hidayah on, and I know he, he's been on your show in the past, I think your show was the first right. national broadcast where I was able to really get the message of the Uyghur out years and years and years ago. Um, and, and I know Prime Minister Hidayah was on your show. So Sally was on yesterday, and I said... You know, I said, Prime Minister, I just think this is the best thing that could have ever happened, these genocide Olympics, because it's become such a scandal that the horror of the CCP can no longer be avoided. And I think he, you know, took it, I think it sounded a little callous or maybe a little naive, um, because, you know, I he just doesn't feel it. You can tell. He's just defeated. In it. How could these games happen? Yeah. Um, but yeah. I, But I am very hopeful. Because it seems to me, this is what I've taken away from it. Number one, I agree with Yahoo Sports. These Olympics, I believe when the, the history books are written, the Beijing Olympics uh, will be the beginning of the end of the CCP. It'll, this is where they will mark the beginning of the end of the CCP because the veil has been ripped away. The world is paying attention. And also, what else has been ripped away is, and I've been driving this point home on my podcast since it just dawned on me, that the deep state, the mainstream media, the globalists, and the CCP, they're an alliance. They're allies. The mainstream media is an ally of the CCP and their war against ethnic and religious minorities within its own borders. And why do I say that? The New York Times doesn't not cover the Uyghur genocide, but they will put it on page B26. How does genocide end up on B26? You know, how come it Fort ne never makes it to the front page above the fold? It's worse. Well, fortunately, to, yeah. I'm sorry. No, no, no. You're, you're right. You, you're probably right. It's worse than if you finish that. I think you, where you're heading is it's worse to not cover it than to bury it. Because maybe it's they didn't know. Maybe they don't. You could say they were naive. But when you put it on B26, it's like, you know, we put. Three million people in concentration camps, women being systematically raped, one million Tibetan children being separated from their family, Oregon heart. We put, you know, we put that after there's a shortage in salt in New York City today 
So roads were a little backed up. We put it after, yeah. the, you know, we put it after, um, you know, Johnny Jackson scored two touchdowns in the community college football game. How, how do they bury genocide? But, you know, the New York Times buried the Holocaust. They, they didn't cover it. It was only when the Holy Father made his Easter addresses was the, the Holocaust ever covered in the New York Times. So I, I guess it's just business as usual. And then, you know, Disney, we talked about this with Sally. Disney made Mulan, and they had changed the script to make the yeah. Uyghurs the bad guys, Uyghurs fighting for independence from Chinese oppression. They flipped the script and made the Uyghurs the bad guys. They shot in East, East Turkestan. The actors could see the concentration camps from the set, and Disney was their partners. I mean, this is startling. So what I've yeah. discovered is to defeat the globalists is to defeat the CCP. To defeat the CCP is to delete is to defeat the globalists because they're allied. They're allied. There's an alliance, and um, they're they're hand in hand. Uh, uh, and you know, we need to dis decouple from the Chinese economy until China is freed from the CCP. Because as I say, I get emails every time I say it that you, you gave me goosebumps when you said it. If you were to put a black light in my house, you would see, you know, that I live in a crime scene because the blood of Uyghur is on probably my printer, my laptop, my, 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 my broadcast. I don't know. Everything made in China. I don't know if there's blood on it. You know, uh, who knows? My clothes, we know that the Uyghur slaves were used to pick cotton up until last year. Uh, now we can't have cotton that's picked in Xinjiang, uh, New, yeah. East Turkestan, because we found out that all that cotton was literally, cotton was literally being picked by slaves. Well, I, I promise you, I must have something in this house with all my children and my wife. There's got to be some piece of clothing in this house that has cotton in it that was picked by a slave in Chinese-occupied East Turkestan. You know, Jason, it's so good that you're informing people. People will not know, again, if unless they're told and if who will tell them if we don't, if not us. And if not us, then who? And by the way, when? Because the sooner the better. But when you talk about that, human rights groups globally, of course, accuse China of the, the torture that really is going on, the forced labor and the detention of over a million people in internment camps in Xinjiang, as you said, but China calls them. People need to know this, too. China calls them, and they'll tell anybody in the media who even bring it up. These are no, no, no. These are re-education and training facilities, and that we're fighting religious extremism, and we aren't abusing anybody. While these Olympics are going on up in Xinjiang, this genocide is going on, and they can deny it all they want, but more outlets are are at least catching on to it because smaller maybe outlets or voices. Yeah, that's what I love about the array of voices and the possibilities of getting our messages out these days means what used to be called, I don't know, elite media, mainstream media, gatekeeper media and all that. They no longer are any of those things. They're still big media with a lot of money, but less of that, dwindling down their staff, having to cut corners, a lot of things wrong there. And meanwhile, other voices that are getting larger and larger listenerships like you, Jason Jones, and others are getting so many more people in their world tuning in to hear what they're not hearing from those other media. 
Yeah, I love so it. That's I, why this has to be told. I started this podcast so I could talk about these issues whenever I wanted. And yeah. and I I, I, I I didn't know how many people would listen. I said, I'll just shout in the wind. Now we have growing audiences all over <laughs> the world, every corner of the planet. That's great. And um and we're just, you know, I'm gonna do this till the day I die. Uh I wanna go back to something you said about the journalists having muddled thinking. What's startling to me about that is as a writer, and you're a writer and a journalist, when you write, it forces you to order your thinking, right? You, you, if you're it writing, should, yeah. right, it forces, so how? It's like they're, they're poisoned by ideology, right? They cannot, Absolutely. they're writing day in and day out, every day. They've got an editor breathing down and they've got to write, but yet... Um, their thinking is so muddled because let's talk about what's happening with the Uyghur right now. If all we had was Facebook, Twitter, Google, the gatekeeper media, the mainstream media, what's happening to the Uyghur would never, ever, never have ever, ever gotten out. It's because of no. shenanigans like my organization going to NBA games and unfurling huge banners that say free the Uyghur and Innis Cantor freedom. And this young woman made, uh, a video several years ago that went viral. It was a makeup video that she did on TikTok. No, maybe Instagram on how to put on makeup. And while she was putting on her makeup, she was talking about the Uyghur and millions and millions of people saw that. And then it was conservative and Christian media. The gatekeeper media has never led on any of these important issues. And, no. um, and, and, and maybe now though, that the walls are tumbling down. Is there a sense of shame or that they just realize now they have to start reporting on this? Yeah, you, well, once once the word gets around them, and, and they're shown to have not been there when the, that message got out, I mean, it shows they're no longer holding back the gates. They're no, no longer keeping the gates, if you will, uh, and, and keeping the silence. It's like the euthanasia movement. It's like the, all these other things that they've been able to. You, you can change your style books all you want and call pro-life people anti-abortion or anti-choice. And, but, but you got to play that out, you know, talk about what do you mean by choice? Because you're, it's the pro-life movement that's really the only move, group of people giving women a choice. So, so draw out the thinking and really hold the feet to the fire in terms of having conversations that require or call upon media to think about what they're saying. So once they're seeing this reporting and hearing this reporting, so seeing it in print or hearing it. In, on your show and by others out there who are speaking out about this and it's getting out there and they know they didn't report it. They buried it, as you say, in B26, page B26 or something. Then they're shown to have to now play catch up journalism and they hate that. They don't want to do that. They want to be the leaders the way the Times always was in the past. Everybody followed the New York Times and whatever they were reporting on the Washington Post and, the, you know, Los Angeles Times and all the others would follow suit and then be quick to jump on the bandwagon. So now even the Times has to play catch up because they're not on top of these stories that are so important to our day and time because they're out there putting on page one above the fold other stories about what? Justice and people's rights and their dignity and equality in, in, in any number of ways. But what they've got to do then is see how that's of a piece with other issues too. Like you can't talk about abortion as a good and not see its relationship to slavery. It's the identical thing as Dred Scott wrote versus Wade, because that's an entire class of human beings being denied 
the right to be called a human being and therefore having their own constitutional Well, it's a lie, rights. right? It's it's the media's it's a lie. lie. It's the first big lie, I think. Well, I mean, slavery and segregation were the big lies. So those are the first big lies. Right. But in our era, the big lie has been, oh, we don't know what's that. We, we, I mean, no one knows. We don't. I mean, Roe v. Wade was built on a lie that no one knows when life begins. Well, that's not true. Everyone knows the biological beginning of a human person is when a sperm fertilizes an egg. Everyone knows that. There's no doubt about that. So then abortion is the taking of an innocent human life. They'll say, well, it's a human being, but it's not a person. Okay, well, when you start saying some human beings are persons with rights and others aren't, well, that's exactly what we've seen in the greatest horrors in history. Um, When the Virginia Supreme Court on the early 19th century denied that Native Americans were persons or that, that slaves were persons. And so, of course, if you're a human being, we have to be very clear. All human beings are persons. And all, and all human beings deserve legal protection from violence. And abortion abandons uh, the most vulnerable members of the human family to violence. Um, and the Olympics is a shameless abandonment of, of, of the most vulnerable members of the human family, the Uyghur. And the most persecuted people in the world right now, suffering the greatest genocide. In a world full of all sorts of suffering. Uh, what's happening to the Uyghurs unimaginable. You know what really drove it home to me? I saw this. Did you see that there was a Belgian a bobsledder? She had been in you know, prison-like conditions held by the CCP in a quote-unquote COVID hotel uh, in solitary confinement, even though she was testing negative. She had to test every day for seven days, twice a day in solitary confinement. And um, she was just broke down crying. And I thought what this poor young woman is going through for a couple of days, knowing that soon she'll be back home. Uh, just pales in comparison to the best days that the Uyghur, the Uyghurs are suffering. And, uh, but yet here she is crying. And then if you will abuse a, a, a world-class athlete with the eyes of the world looking on her, well then, what are you doing to your ethnic and religious minorities? What are they doing to Bishop Joseph Waiju, who's been disappeared? Yeah. I'm going to have John Henry um, Weston on from LifeSite News to talk about the silence of the Vatican and the Pope on the China issue. Uh, But we have a bishop who's just been disappeared. Not only the bishop, but all of his priests and all of his seminarians and and countless lay lay people have been just disappeared. And there's the silence from the news media. There's the silence from uh, the Vatican. And who is it? It's the alternative media banging the drum. But I think the alternative media is the media. And the mainstream well, media is, is just like the official organ of the spirit of the age. Mouthpiece of the age, right. And by the way, there is another genocide going on in CCP in China. Falun Gong. Remember Falun Gong? A lot of people heard about Falun Gong and people are saying right now, I was saying, wait, Falun Gong? Yeah, remember that? It's Falun Gong. That's another religious group in China. And they have, they, they meditate in Hong Kong, in, uh, you know, they, they, they're in China, different parts of it. But it, uh, both the Trump and Biden administrations determined that the Chinese Communist Party was waging, is waging war, uh, waging, sorry, genocide against the Uyghur and other mostly ethnic Muslim communities in Xinjiang. But what they're not talking about, but Secretary of State Pompeo did, is also Falun Gong. There's so much going on. Even, Jason, you know this. Organ harvest, organ transplant market is being fed by 
torturing these people, disappearing them, as you said, this mass internment in these concentration camps, and then organ harvesting there. Well, the people were killed, or shortly before, their hearts, livers, lungs, kidneys. I mean, this is from an article right in front of me. Well, I have, I have friends uh, from China that gave me first, I, a firsthand eyewitness testimony to seeing the, um, the ghost ambulances that come before the ambulance comes to take the organs right there on the street when people are lying from a car accident. Mm-hmm. And then the second yeah. ambulance comes and takes the body. What a ghoulish state. There's never been a more ghoulish state. And yet Hunter Biden... Uh, was literally in bed with the CCP, literally in bed with the CCP. And, um, you know, it's quite frightening. But here's what is, what's hopeful for me. If you're a young journalist, you're going to make more money as an independent journalist now and have a bigger career thoughtfully using social media or podcasting uh, than going to work for New York Times or Time Magazine. So they're not the best and the brightest now aren't going to go to these dying institutions, right? They're gonna they're gonna make their own way. They're gonna be their own bosses, and uh, so you know I think we're gonna see the total utter collapse of the the, the, the laughable establishment media. You know I once was boycotting a film that they, they tried to hire me to promote this. So you know I'm not gonna say the film. I don't want to get sued. But um, you remember the film. I was on your show, and I literally yeah. eviscerated a nun on your show. Remember that? Yeah, that was, that was a lively exchange. Yeah. And I thought, I they're never well. going to let me on relevant radio again. <laughs> never. But I uh, heard, you came back on my show. No, but I heard they banned her after that. So that was good, God, because she, she supported this movie, and I laid out why this movie was so horrible. They actually tried to hire Movie to Movement to market the film, and I'm like, it's satanic. Well, are you insane? And... Um, I, uh, then the guy called me cause I launched a boycott of the film and he, he said, he said that I would, ne- he used these words. You will never work in this town again. Of course I was in my home office in Kapolei, Hawaii. And I said, I didn't know you had so much pull in Kapolei, Hawaii. I said, dude, are you, you think this is 1978? Like, what do you think? You have no power over me. I have power over you. And we cost mm-hmm. that movie a lot of money. I'm proud to say we cost that movie probably over a hundred million dollars. And, uh, but yeah, wow. he, he thought he was a gatekeeper that yeah, you're no gatekeeper, bro. There's no gate. And then the social media, that's when we could actually play for, you know, we had free play on Facebook and Twitter and we had lots of fun in those days. Then they clamped down on us, but now we have getter. Are you on getter yet? No, I don't think so. My, my podcast is on, Oh, a number of platforms. No, Getter is, is like Twitter. No, Getter, Getter is like Twitter. And it was founded by Jason Miller. Um, and my handle is at Jason Jones Show, at Jason oh. Jones Show. So I had it as a wrong thing. So it's like Twitter. No, I'm not on it. Yeah, so you need Jason, to be on I Getter. Enough, I don't have enough time to sign on to Twitter and other things. Now, I, I will. I, I will. deleted my Twitter account. When they kicked the President of the United States off, I got off. And by the way, I'd, I'd have gotten off if they kicked off a Democrat. If they if Twitter would have kicked off uh, Obama, I'd have got off Twitter. And, you know, a I company that deplatforms the president of the United States is not a platform I need to be on. You know, people tell me it's, it was imprudent it's, to step away from my account. Everything, everything's changed so much with media right now. It's really good that you clarify for people and they get to hear in these conversations you have with people what the media constitute these days and what they're doing and how they do what they do. 
And they do it through collusion. I mean, you've talked about collusion in a number of ways. When you have big media in collusion with, I don't know, the Chinese government. I mean, maybe it's just, Jason, after the Gulf War, only after it happened. And by the way, the world saw it live on TV by exactly one media outlet. Because CNN, and the story came out later, CNN admitted later that they had made a deal with uh, to, to be the last remaining outlet left there in order to stay in Baghdad. And they made a deal with Saddam Hussein that they, whatever the deal was, you know, they, they wouldn't report anything, talk about censoring, that would uh, offend him or something. So only after all of that was over, CNN, one of their editors, published, I like an editorial or an op-ed piece, clearing his conscience, if you will, and admitting what CNN did and how bad he felt about it. And he had to come clean and explain it. And that's just telling you what, what went on back then. Fast forward to where we are now. So making deals with tyrants in order to have a couple correspondents being allowed to keep a bureau somewhere so you get the scoop or the only reporting on it. These days, I don't even know that that would work because they would take you out. I mean, I don't even know that they would let you be protected any longer. But that's the collusion that's been going on for a long time, which is why people need to understand, back to this point, what they're reading and hearing in that kind of media, where it comes from, and how much it shapes their thinking. People's thoughts are being formed and shaped every single day without their realizing. And they have to realize it. So we have to be responsible for what we consume in the news media, in social media, whatever, and how we look at it. We have to vet it. We have to source it. When you hear something, ask for sources or go look them up yourself and find out if it's even true and accurate. But that's now our responsibility because there's so much misinformation out there. There's a whole campaign of it going on out there to form our opinion. We have to be moral consumers of news. Yeah, when Facebook facts checks the Babylon Bee, when you share a Babylon Bee article and they'll fact check it, or they'll do a COVID warning on a, a satirical article, I mean, that's really, it's horrifying in, in, in one respect because you know it is forming people's uh, opinions and it's, it's making people afraid and hesitant to share things that will get them harassed by the censors. And um, so it's, it's changing us as a people. We are changing. And I really see this when I go to blue cities and blue states. Like where I live in Texas, it's, just, it's been business as usual since the day we landed here. It's just America. I go to, you know, your home, Chicago or New York City or Washington, D.C., and I really feel like I'm going to East Berlin, and it's 1986. It's a different world, and it's mm -hmm. startling. Now. When I went to Hawaii for a friend's funeral, a friend who tragically committed suicide, huh. and Hawaii's had more suicides. It's, it's an epidemic of suicides. By the way, the media's not covering all the unintended consequences of these COVID policies, right? They're not covering any of these unintended consequences. They're not covering the adverse effects of the vaccine. They're lying that it's safe. They're, they're trying to sweep under the rug all the adverse effects. Uh, did you see that comedian that just collapsed? 
a, a comedian made a joke about being double vaxxed and then passed out and cracked your head and was hospitalized. It just happened a couple of days ago. It's really unbelievable. It's, it's all over social media. It's, and it's verified. It's, it's bizarre. But, um, and this is why it's just important now. We're lucky. We have Getter. You know, you can listen to the Jason Jones show. There are all of these citizen journalists out there. Um, I am very disciplined and I am focused on a very narrow set of subjects and I really want to be focused and maintained and I, and, and I aggregate every, I get, I have an app that gives me every story on Iraq or Syria or Afghanistan or, mm-hmm. and, um, on the, or immigration, the topics that are very important for me or that are the work of my organization or this show. Um, and I, and I'm able to do deep studies. And I think the other thing is not what you said, Sheila, is we have to be very careful about what we intake. And we don't have to be experts on everything. We don't have to look at every shiny keys that the media, you know, oh, Whoopi Goldberg is a bad person. Joe Rogan's a bad person. Dave Shell's, Dave Chappelle's a bad person. I don't have to pay attention to any of that nonsense. That's right. You tell them. That's right. In fact, I think about that so often, Jason, when I'm on a news story and over on the sidebar or across the top, you've got all this clickbait. And I think, you know, a lot of it you can just chew away and say, just pick your head and say, I would never click on it. Some of them I'm tempted to because they're news. They've got good headlines. I think, ooh, I'd love to read that. But I realize, wait a minute, that's trying to lure me away from this article I'm reading now by clicking on that clickbait, which then will have its own banners down the side of other headlines they want you to click on. And then that starts to get into the world of, I don't know, the latest stuff on Harry and Meghan, you know, Meghan Markle. I mean, do you really need to click on that and find out what's the latest Never. with them? No. And so my point is, to your point, we only have so much time in our lives and so much time in our days. And how we live that and apply that and serve others through that, in that time, is what's the most important thing in our whole life. Because we are given what we're given. What's in front of us is in front of us for a reason. Your ability to speak to wide audiences in our conversation right now about these topics is so much more important than anything in the gossip world, the celebrity world. Yeah, you know, the Super Bowl is, is coming up. Or NBA, I don't know, All-Stars, the trade deadlines, all that kind of stuff might be interesting. But what's really most important that you do with your time for other people? You, Jason, with the Vulnerable People Project, I love that. I love that you called it that. Because we have so many vulnerable people in the world. And so many of our people in our borders don't even realize that until they hear it from you or me or others who are telling them, then they don't even know. So this is what we should be spending time on, not clickbait. And by the way, Jason, what I just said, they don't even know about it. Something that kind of gets to me, and therefore I feel it's a mission to help people see, is, well, what does that mean? What is that to me? I mean, show me why I should care about that. That bothers me because, well, wait a minute, why do you have to have a reason, a buy-in, a reason that you should care about this group of people over here? When you should care about all people being treated with dignity and respect Well, I think, in fairness, I think a lot of people, you know, it's kind of rational ignorance. They think, well, if there's nothing I can do about it, it's it's a sorrowful, dreadful world. You know, why should I care? And so something we try to do at the Vulnerable People Project is communicate to folks. Like the last thing I want to be in the world is a do-gooder, right? I, I want to, I, the last thing I want to be is like the great white hope 
traveling around the world, uh, telling people how to live their life. Um, and that's why we stay really focused on vulnerable communities that, that we as Americans can affect real change for in their, in their protection. And in fact, it sort of goes hand in hand with where, where I can affect change is where I'm culpable. So I was culpable. I was culpable as an American citizen for the catastrophe that our government created in Afghanistan. I was culpable for the ISIS rape camps in Iraq when uh, the Obama administration sat on its sat, sat on its hands while the quote unquote JV team raped its way across um, Iraq and Syria. So I was I fail I feel responsible. I feel we as Americans are responsible. There's something we can do about it, and we're culpable. When American corporations partner with the Beijing Olympics, the genocide games, you know, Visa, Coca-Cola, um, Airbnb, when you see these brands up there and, you know, I booked my last vacation trip on Airbnb uh, using my Visa card. And when I got there, the first thing I did was get a Coke, right? So I'm culpable. I'm responsible. There's, there's something we can do. So I think it's okay for people to go like the Dalit in India. You know, there's 250 million people that are living sort of as, as treated as subhumans in India. Mm-hmm. What am I going to be able to do about it as an American? And and now I know I have friends who are missionaries to the Dalit. The Dalit is a community I think about often and pray. But, I, you know, you, mm-hmm. you haven't seen our activism sort of touch on them because I just think that, that really that's the work of the gospel. That's the, That's the work of missionaries. But then when you look at, Afghanistan or Iraq or the Uyghur catastrophe. We created the monster of China. This was something that our bankers and our our multinational corporations created. We created this monster. We fueled it. Uh, It was this weak, limping dragon. And um, we have turned it into this roaring monster that menaces the world. And uh, so then we have a responsibility. We have a responsibility to engage with the CCP. In fact, defeat the CCP. As I said, we are going to defeat the Jason Jones show. Sheila Agminas will be here and the CCP will be gone. That Amen, is my brother. promise. That's my promise. Amen, brother. Well, you do great work uh, for vulnerable people everywhere and, and including, and I love what you're doing for those trapped in Afghanistan and those you've already helped bring out and just, just, you know, helping them if they're there have you know shelter have food have uh heating it for the winter and just stay safe to the degree that you can but i know you're doing that but you're really driving this campaign of awareness about the Uyghur. and you know thank god voices like yours and nina shea at the hudson institute and others are putting out so much information and then other media are coming on board and like i said you know yahoo sports they put that out there and it's good to see other outlets picking up on, hey, we didn't know about this. Let's learn more about this. While these Olympics are going on, is a really good time to bring this up and to let people know that if you support these, these outlets, the entities, corporations that are very involved in this, that you're a part, you're a part of the problem. And you can make a difference by not supporting it. So those who are Covering it, for instance, especially NBC, having the big contract for, you know, this market, America, uh, then at least have them talk more about it. And I've heard a, a couple 
of the NBC big names starting to at least, you know, raise the question or raise the issue that we're hearing more about the controversial, you know, supposed or alleged or, you know, claimed Chinese persecution of the Uyghur were, you know, looking more at this. Well, good. When are we going to hear about that? So that's how those outlets are going to learn more about it, is if somebody like you is talking about it. Yeah, I, you know, I am really hopeful. This is what we want. We want NBC to, you know, lash themselves in public <laughs> after this and take the lead. I would love to see NBC. You know, this is something I've said to, you know, representatives of these different corporations that that have their, their crap made in China. Like, well, you could lead the way. You could turn this into an opportunity for your brand. This is an opportunity. You should lead the way. Instead, you know, Costco and Nike and others – uh, and Apple were, 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 were pouring money into lobbying to gut um, the Uyghur genocide legislation to not have products made in, quote-unquote, Xinjiang uh, by American corporations. Nike and, and Apple and others should have led the way to say, hey, look, we don't want any products. But because the CCP, they're not smart, they don't give these people leeway to even publicly feign that they're opposing them because they'll get punished. So they are, you know, just like that NBA player, when he looked the camera in the eye and said, I don't care about the Uyghur genocide, that wasn't a mistake. He was saying that because he knew the CCP was listening and he was saying, hey, I'm your boy. I will, you, you, you play the, the you, I will dance to your tune. He knew what he was doing. He was showing that he was loyal there, to the CCP. There are consequences to every action. Every action has consequences. There's, you know, remember the old just truth and consequences. Well, that's not just an old TV show name or whatever it was. I mean, every action has consequences. And so then whatever, I mean, he, he may not, he may like the consequences right now. Okay, you get the pat on the head. You get approved of by a very powerful entity. But there are going to be consequences down the road if we don't do the right thing. If you out there, you know, celebrity athlete or whoever you are, don't do the right thing. And there are people over there now. I mean, as you brought, you brought up one of the athletes, there are heroic athletes who are speaking out about treatment, you know, or the disparity of treatment from one group to another group, depending on where the athlete's from. And to what risk? Well, the big risk while they're still within the borders of that country. Do you, do you know there was a Turkish so, skier that had, when he did a jump, the bottom of his skis had the flag of East Turkestan on his skis? Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, that's just wonderful. That's what I'm yeah, talking well, you, about. Yeah, any any creative way like that you can find to make a statement is making a statement without uttering a word. There are so many ways. There's, and you're so right. The people with powerful organizations, corporations, especially the biggest and most popular ones, why wouldn't they want to brand on the right side of justice and, and freedom and liberty and dignity I mean, that's what so many movements today, Jason, are about, as we know, that are out there on the streets protesting demonstrations that are held all over the place for different causes. But ultimately, the underlying thing is justice, freedom, dignity, rights, human rights. Yeah, but they're always and, on the side of, you know, it's they want the cheap grace. So I said yeah. to Sally Hedaya, I said, listen, when East Turkestan is free and independent, these same corporations will, you know, be celebrating the independence of East Turkestan. You know, Disney made a, a film that, vil, that, that made the, the, the Uyghur the villains, uh, Mulan. Unbelievable. 
But, you know, if East Turkestan uh, becomes a wealth, wealthy, independent polity, they'll, they'll, Disney will happily make a movie about a Uyghur princess. And if the CCP has since fallen, they will make the CCP out to be the villain. You know, it's just about money. They're victimists. They feign concern yeah, for the vulnerable, for wealth, power, yeah. and prestige. And also just going with the, the power. You know, where's the power right now? Which way are, do, do the winds blow? And then just drifting with the winds, the, the prevailing wind, cultural winds of the moment are blowing this way. So we'll go with where the power and the winds are blowing. And, you know, what's, what's power, define power? Because what they really need to learn is where ultimate power lies. And so that's why your show is doing a, a yeoman's job of informing people about these issues. The Vulnerable People Project, what you're doing right now during the Olympics, is really helping people see. I mean, even in, you know, when they hear reports of that day's uh, events and medal counts and all that, they're hearing it through a different lens now. They see headlines and news articles through a different lens, Jason, when they are informed by you and others like you about what they didn't know before. They shake their heads and say, gosh, I didn't know that. I never heard about this. Well, you are now. So therefore, what are you going to do about it? And think about this, Sheila. And I said this to Prime Minister Hadaya yesterday. We have had no powerful interest behind us, no nation state. I know. We've had no major media outlets. We've had, uh, but you know, for over two years now, we've been calling for the, the boycott of the Genocide Olympics. And look, despite, you know, Saudi Arabia and, and, and Turkey and the Vatican being mums the word, siding with the CCP on this genocide, um, despite that, the word has gotten out and um, the veil has been ripped away. The world can see the CCP for what it is. And um, I think this is the greatest, you know, a political propaganda disaster in the history of, you know, I would compare it. It's a propaganda disaster to the level of the military disaster that was the withdrawal from Afghanistan. It's 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 like the equivalent. It's the propaganda equivalent of the U.S. abandoning Afghanistan. It's 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 equal. It's equally as catastrophic. More catastrophic because I think in the end, um, the CCP or the Chinese are witnessing. Uh, you know, they're living through a massive and international embarrassment and i think that embarrassment will put in fissures that will eventually lead to the end of the ccp the fact that they were even given these olympics was just an outrage they had them in what 2008 and now they, for beijing to host these olympics is just it's outrageous that they were given these and i know a lot of people in the western world and probably other parts of the world uh, have said that they've been outspoken about that but here we are they're there they're taking place so this gives you and anyone else, everyone else who uh, who knows the duty to tell, uh, the opportunity to tell. So we all have a duty to tell what we know that's the truth that is revealing things most people don't know about vulnerable people and human rights. And now that this is going on, this makes it an opportune moment to address it and see if, if, if anything can be done while this is still happening over there and uh, have people speak out more especially those who are on the ground over there or on this side of the world here in America, that, but connected to the corporations that are over there. Whether that happens or not, you do, you do have Olympic athletes like the skier who had the, the Uyghur you know, name or symbol on the bottom of the seat. I and mean, you've got ways to do things. And so uh, let's use all the means we have. 
Yeah, no, I, you know, uh, Cyrano de Bergerac, uh, the, the, one of the last lines of one of the greatest plays of all time, Cyrano says, uh, when death, he's fighting death, and death tells him it's useless, he says, don't you know man fights for far more than the mere hope of winning? Better, far better that the odds are totally in vain. And when we feel that the odds are totally in vain, they're not. And there's nothing that gives me more mm-hmm. pleasure than watching those fragile, thin-souled ghouls who think they represent power or they're standing with power uh, get their comeuppance. One of my favorite memories is being with you when, thanks to you, your show, like overnight, we put together one of the biggest, most beautiful movie events of all time at the Copernicus Historic oh, that was great. Copernicus <laughs> Theater in that Chicago. Yeah, and we it was we the, the the film for all you listening was a, a documentary called Messenger of Truth on Father Jerzy Popiescu, the spiritual founder of the Solidarity Movement, who was eventually beaten and killed by the KGB. But we threw in a movie premiere. We had Father Jerzy's family there. We had all of the Polish community in Chicago there, a very Polish town. I think more Polish than like Poland, <laughs> and we. Uh, had all the politicians line up to, to, they wanted to address the crowd and we told them they all could and we lined them all up, but I stood, you were the MC and I stood at the stairs and I asked each of the politicians when it was, they were in the queue to go on stage. You remember, what did I ask them? And are you pro-life? Are you pro-life? And if they said, no, I said, you can't speak on my stage. I, I witnessed this. I witnessed a guy trying to get to me as a, a radio show host and you put your arm out and blocked him. And you asked him who he was, and you asked him, if, "Are you pro-life?" And he he wasn't. And you you were tough, my brother. You were really <laughs> no. Tough. I don't give an inch. You, you said no. You can't talk to her, and you can't talk on stage, and leave. You can't. You can't. <laughs> and this was an all, a Chicago alderman. No one ever told him no. I love that. No, sorry, I'm not, not from Chicago. I'm from I'm from Hawaii. It, what are you going to do for that, me, brother? That's true. <laughs> That event, Jason, was amazing. 800 people yeah. we got out for that. For the messenger of truth, um, it was just so, so, what a wonderful story. Because he, Father, Father Papa Whistle was not afraid. He wasn't afraid to die. He wasn't afraid of this KGB. He knew they were following him. He knew they were listening to him. But he wasn't afraid to speak truth as long as he had life and breath. And that's what this is about. What you just said, that, that quote you cited by uh, Rostan. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. That was, uh, that, that's very, very powerful. That's very powerful. There's something, and, and again, what, what hill will you plant your flag? What hill will you die on? What, what, is, what is worth fighting for to you? And for you and for me, Jason, it's for people who, do, who don't have a voice, for the, to be voiced for the voiceless, who don't have the voice to speak out on media like we have and to get their message out for them which they plead with us to do. I was at the United Nations, the genocide conference at the United Nations. It was powerful. The, uh, the Bishop of Aleppo, Syria, just got out of the bombing to come to New York and be, it was because they were afraid he wasn't going to make it. The bombing had happened overnight when he was going to fly out. They got him out and he came to this genocide conference in New York where the United States House of Representatives, all 100% of the House of Representatives had voted on the genocide resolution. And one of them on my show said, Sheila, we don't, we don't agree 100% on Mother's Day. He said, we never agree 100% on anything. But he was the author of the genocide resolution. And it was to be the voice for the voiceless. And that conference at the United Nations, I attended Jason, I'll never forget it. And a priest in, in Iran who had been 
in Iraq, I'm sorry, who had been, or had been, uh, had his teeth knocked out with a hammer by ISIS and was a prisoner of theirs for a while. He was there to tell the story of the people who pitched their tents next to the Catholic Church because they were so afraid of going into the, the UN camp because they were the minority. So all these things we hear, and they, they pled with the priests, they pled with the Bishop of Aleppo. What to say at the United Nations in New York when they got there? So when I did my interviews one-on-one with them, holding my, you know, iPhone app that was rolling with, you know, broadcast quality recording, I, when I asked them, what, what do you, your people say? What do your people want us to know? They were so eager to tell us what the people said back home, that they want us to know about the suffering that goes on. So that's the least we can do is keep telling their story and doing what we can to get them help. Well, Sheila, you have always been the voice for the vulnerable. And as you know, these vulnerable that we're speaking for often, they're smarter than us. They're harder working than us. They're more virtuous than us. But we are just uniquely placed in a position where we have the opportunity to speak. And when we're vulnerable, pray God, there'll be those who have the opportunity to speak up for us, that they'll speak up for Mm -hmm. us. And so I I just want to thank you. Uh, for always being there for me and always being there for the Vulnerable People Project. And and um, before you go, I want you to tell everyone, how can they listen to your uh, podcast and follow all of your work? Huh. I gotta, I've got to reboot uh, it. I've got to kick it into gear again because for a whole host of reasons, I had put it on pause for a while. But it's called In Forum Blog. So forum, think of a forum. That's the, the arena of ideas back in ancient times, the Areopagus, you know, is where people would come and change, exchange ideas and argue and debate and, you know, hold, hold forth uh, with their debate. Well, the modern Areopagus is, you know, this arena of ideas that we're talking about right now. And you can do so in the media, but you can do so like in what my podcast is, and your podcast is, and what, what we're doing. Talk to people in a way, what you, what you and I both love about doing it this way. Is it nobody's telling us what we, what to say, what we can't say, who we can't talk to, what to say, what we can't you know, talk about? And so we're talking about what we think is most important. So it's called In Forum Block. Um, but a quicker way to remember it is SheilaReports.com. So SheilaReports.com. And I'm going to get you on Getter, and we'll get you a sort of a verified account. We've got to get you on Getter. There we go. There's a party there over there at Getter, and you don't want to miss it. It's 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 like, but, wow, it's like way, I'm free to speak again. I can I can share my thoughts without <laughs> being told I'm a bad person or being kicked off the or sent to detention. It's unbelievable. I gotta jump on that. By the way, that informed blog is the blog. The podcast is in the forum. Uh, so come join me in the forum, and I, and I do there what you and I do here. And Jason, it's time for you to come back in the forum. We'll talk over there. I can't wait. Well, after I land this plane, sell some pillows. I'm going to do <laughs> Muay Thai kickboxing, which is how I stay sane. And you're thinking. You don't seem that sane, Jason. Well, think of what I would be like if I didn't go do <laughs> Muay Thai kickboxing. So I know you too well. You came on my show by being at a gym in the boxing ring, but taking a break to, uh, to step out with your cell phone and come on my show. Oh, do you so remember that? You. you remember I that? Do. That was I, from the Republican National Convention. You have a good memory, yeah, yeah. wasn't it? I was in I, Ohio. Oh, I don't know where you ever are. I just knew you were in a boxing ring. So and when I traveled... When I travel the country, I, I find either the best jujitsu school or Muay Thai gym or whatever, and I go train with them. You know, I've, I've been able to train with Freddie Roach, uh, just, you know, great legends. And that's what's so great about the sport. Like, you can't go, hey, I'm in Boston. Let me go play football with the Patriots, right? But if you know boxing <laughs> or you know Muay Thai or UFC or MMA, 
you you can research and say, I want to go to this town. Hey, I wanna I wanna do jujitsu with uh Henzo Gracie. I'm in New York City. You can go do jujitsu with Henzo. Who could do that? You know, it's <laughs> unbelievable. You, you can you say, can, hey, can, anybody can. anybody can with this sport. Oh, I'm in I'm I'm in LA. I want to go to Wildcard Boxing Gym. You can go there. Bing bang boom. And uh it's, it's unbelievable. Cool. And so uh but yeah. It's the best sport in the world. But yeah, I I do. I think I'd forgotten I had that interview scheduled and I had to like, or no, no, your guest canceled on you. Your guest canceled and and then you needed a guest at the last minute, I think it was. And I said, yeah, I'll do it. I don't usually usually do it that way with you. I actually go after you to get you on, but you're also that kind of friend who says, call me anytime you have somebody drop. I'll come on. And maybe you're right. Maybe that did happen. I have a couple, I had a few friends who said they were regular guests. They would come on. Like ahead of time, I would book it. But they would also say, and, and call me anytime you get somebody drop, and I'll be ready at the last minute if I'm able. Yeah, because we're you shameless self-promoters is what it is. <laughs> no, because you know what? We always have a lot to say, don't we? We do. And we love having the opportunity when we're given that to be able to get out there and say things to people uh, you know, who can directly listen to us and not have to go through some other filter. And but, we're... Uh, no, Sheila, to be on not- your show, like you let me come on your show and talk about... The genocide in Iraq when no one was talking yeah. about it. And then I could reach every nook and cranny of America. Like, that's an unbelievable privilege. Alex Jones yeah. just had me on. He gave me two hours of his broadcast. I mean, millions of people. Oh when I go on his show, I go to the grocery store. Everyone's coming up to me saying, hey, 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 you were that guy today I saw. You know, or Steve Bannon lets me on. And and I'm never, I never, I'm always just sort of taken aback that I have yeah. that privilege. <laughs> but then I always tell myself, why am I here? I am yeah, here to exactly. voice the interest of the most vulnerable people in the world. And if you notice, I know you know this, Sheila, but I, I'm saying the same thing for 30 years. I, I, and I'm just looking for every opportunity to say these things. But Jason, each time you do, there are going to be people who never heard it before. Yeah. So that's why we stay at it. And each time, never, ever tire. I, I know you won't. I'm just saying this to other people out there. Never, ever tire of saying what you feel is the same thing over and over. Because always, Somebody is going to hear it for the first time. And you may be the only person they're going to hear say that. So by all means, and I do mean by all means, say, speak truth, and realize that actions have consequences. And we want our consequences to matter for vulnerable human lives. Yes, we do. Well, Sheila, I look forward to having you back on. Um, Thank you, Jason. I'll have your sites in the show notes. And um, I'll be in Chicago soon. I look forward to seeing you. Okay, you as well. Thank you so much. Great talking with you as always. All right, God bless. God bless you. I love Sheila Logminas, and um, what a privilege to have her on this show. A true journalist, Emmy Award-winning writer, and a great radio talk show host. Um, But I am going to go to Muay Thai right now. I'm bumping into my gym time. You all, I have what I call my warrior hour, and I have it in every day. I have to do one hour of something. Like, and if I don't go to a boxing gym or do Muay Thai, then I have to do like, I have to run or I have to do burpees for an hour and sit-ups and push-ups. So if I miss the gym, I got to do burpees for an hour, which I do not want to do. So you need to turn, not only do I, am I in the middle of this pentathlon of podcasting, I'm about to go do my warrior hour and I'm going to tell you, oh, and you know what, how I can do a warrior hour and feel so comfortable and wake up so refreshed is I have the my pillow mattress topper and I have those wonderful pillows. So if you're going to do your warrior hour, you need to go to mypillow.com, get the mattress toppers, 
There is a deep, there's a big sale on betting today. So go to mypillow.com, use the code Jones for deep discounts, and uh, get your pillows. Also, this episode is being brought to you by the Vulnerable People Project. Sheila was so nice, she basically made the whole show into a commercial for the Vulnerable People Project. Go to thegreatcampaign.org, see what we do, and support us. Donate to us. We need your support. Until tomorrow, when we're going to have John Henry Weston. Uh, John Henry Weston is going to be on tomorrow to discuss with us, where is Pope Francis? Where's Pope Francis been? Why isn't he speaking out against uh, the CCP? And more. Tune in to the Pentathlon of Podcasting. Every day of the Olympics, we will be here. It's the Jason Jones Show. This has been the Jason Jones Show, powered by Mudhouse Media. Oh, 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 oh